This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Brett Begeman, Chief Operating Officer at Bayer Crop Sciences. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Bayer's Brett Begeman next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's Crop Insurance Industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Providing individualized protection on more than 300 million acres of farmland, crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. 2019 was another challenging year for farmers, ag retailers, and companies. Brett Begeman, COO at Bayer Crop Sciences, says they're ready for the new year and hard at work in developing innovation for the next generation of farmers. There's more competition in the world, but Begeman says U.S. farmers are ahead of the curve. I mean, the American farmer is extremely well positioned uh, to compete in the world and, and continue to supply a big part of what the, the world needs. And at the same time, um, the world needs to continue to move forward and think about how we produce more and do it in a way that's sustainable to the, to the planet that we all enjoy. You're a global company. So how important is U.S. agriculture to your bottom line and your success? The U.S. is by far our largest business, and as we look to the future, we anticipate it will continue to be our largest business. Uh, two big reasons. Number one, it's got a large agricultural land base, uh, which is important in a crop science business. Uh, and on, on top of that, it's highly innovative farmers with a working regulatory system that uh, uh, welcomes and demands innovation, and that's a that's great for a company like ours that's focused on innovation. Knowing that you're working for your own bottom line and also working with producers that are working a very thin line, what work is Bayer doing from a research standpoint, from a practical standpoint of field trials, to give producers the advantage they need to survive the economics of scale and also meet their sustainability goals? Yeah, we're, we're always looking for those innovative ideas that can help a farmer increase their productivity and do it using less stuff, uh, whether that be less inputs or less land or less water, um, but still getting the output that we need to, to nourish the world and feed everyone a, a balanced plate. And the, the, the challenge in that, of course, is getting the regulatory systems around the world to sync up and allow those innovations to come into the, to the marketplace for farmers to use it. Um, but I, I believe that it's a, it's a, it's a great challenge, but, but we're prepared to, to go after it and make it happen. Not too many days ago at the Commodity Classic in San Antonio, Bayer had a press conference with the American Farm Bureau Federation, and just recognizing the challenges of the day, working together to help producers from an emotional standpoint because of the stress of this business. It's been a really tough few years on farmers, and um, some some of our employees, actually not the company, but some of our employees started a, a program called Farmer State of Mind that really flourished. And unfortunately, the reason it flourished is there was a great need. And Farm Bureau also had uh, many efforts in that area as well. 
And we just felt like combining our forces together to work on that was a, a better way to do that. And Farm Bureau is going to take the lead in rolling our Farmer State of Mind program into what they were doing and, and spread it wider and broader across the United States because farmers, like anyone else in society, they need someone to talk to and they need help, especially in challenging times. So many decades ago, the company that used, used to be CAO of announced a new molecule that revolutionized agriculture and brought us to levels of sustainability that no one could have seen before. And now there is word that you've developed a new molecule and it's showing promise. What can you share? Well, it's uh, it's really exciting because it's been several decades since a truly new molecule has been innovated from any company for weed control in crops. And uh, we do have a new molecule. It's still years away and a lot of testing to be done. Um, but it looks awful promising, and we're super excited about it. And uh, part of what makes me get really excited is it's, it's, it behaves somewhat benignly in the environment, kind of like that early molecule that we discovered before called glyphosate that uh, also has a, a pristine reputation. So it's, uh, it's really exciting. It's years away, but very exciting. This is not the first molecule you found along the way, but it appears that this one's making it farther down the line than many that you have seen. What shows promise here, and can you give any idea remotely how long it might take to bring something like this uh, to, to greater testing, and then that mountainous uh, objective of getting regulatory approval around the globe? Well, you, you think of a molecule from discovery to, to being into the marketplace, and that's a 10- to 12-year process. So we're a few years into it. So we're, we're still probably thinking uh, five-plus years of development before we can get the, the regulatory package completed and approved and, and get it into the marketplace. Uh, so I, I talk about these things in decades. So it's towards the end of the next decade that we'll, we'll expect that product to be available, um, provided, again, it continues to meet all the testing hurdles as we go forward. So at coffee shops in farm country, there's always the discussion about corn knee-high by the 4th of July and who's tall, whose corn's the tallest. And along with this molecule, you're talking about a paradigm shift and the physical structure of the corn plant. Take us into what tomorrow's cornfield might look like from Bayer's perspective. Well, it's actually super exciting. We've actually had a, a major breakthrough in the stature of corn, and we're actually calling it uh, a novel idea, short corn. Um, the corn actually grows substantially shorter than what we would see as a commercial crop today, yet it yields at the same level or better than the conventional varieties and hybrids that are grown today. That brings huge advantages to us. One, uh, weather and lodging from wind is a problem for farmers, and a short stature crop is much more durable in the field. Uh, it also allows you to go through the field with equipment uh, for a longer period of time so that we can spoon feed fertility to the crop, we can spoon feed treating it for disease and insects, etc., versus treating the entire field and doing it too early before we know how the crop is going to need it. So it's, it's really something that we think can really add to the sustainability of agricultural production of corn. I recall talking to your researchers and suggesting that we have to manage water and we have to manage sunlight, and the goal of production was you either have a plant with a bigger ear that raises more or you find a way to increase population. So that led to ideas of more narrow rows and how to better space the crop. But you also spend a lot of energy building the structure of the plant. This tells me you're looking to a sustainable standard to be able to, to tend the crop more through the season, but also to spend more energy raising kernels than raising stalks. 
No, that's exactly right. I mean, we want all the energy to go into the grain, which is the usable part of the corn crop that we, we want to use. And and uh, that's part of the excitement of, uh, of the short stature corn. And to your point, we believe we can increase the populations, get more ears in the field, but still manage the crop in a way that the plants are, are sustainable, can stay in the field and stand tall and strong and, and deliver more yield at the end of the day. And as we develop the plants, then we can start developing the systems that go along with it to optimize the overall productivity. And I believe there'll be a step change because we're already matching the yield and we still haven't optimized the system yet. It amazes me now, just as time has moved on with news, of the stories about sustainability. Now, everybody's got a different definition of sustainability, but I think of the different commodity groups and the work that's being done toward helping producers grow more with less inputs. I think of the Secretary of Agriculture at the Outlook Forum, Sonny Perdue, talking about this is an initiative from the Department of Agriculture, in essence, to do more with less. What role does sustainability play with Bayer Crop Sciences? Well, actually, when we brought the two companies together a, a couple of years ago, one of the pillars that we brought it together under was to create a more sustainable agricultural system. And uh, that's been our expressed goal from the very beginning is to, to shape agriculture into a more sustainable solution. As a company, our entire company has declared that we'll be carbon neutral at some point in the future by 2030, 2050, in that kind of a range. And to do that, we have to change how we behave as a company. Um, but at the same time, in our, in our business, we're looking for opportunities to do that with farmers. We have some really great ideas about how farmers – uh, can use agronomic systems to sequester carbon in the soil to help make all of society more efficient and more carbon neutral. We can help other companies. We can help our own company meet their carbon standards by sequestering carbon. And I believe we can do that by incenting farmers along the way to grow carbon neutral crops, of which we know we can do already with corn as an example. And by doing that, we improve the whole sustainable system for, for agriculture around the world. And it's going to take everyone. We've already engaged and we are engaged with the commodity groups and others working on ideas about doing this. And, and uh, there's actually building quite excitement about being able to do this. So let's turn the attention to the other 98% of the U.S. population that doesn't farm. And again, lots of different definitions towards sustainability. But do you think the consumer understands or could the consumer be made to understand the role of technology in the goal of sustainability? Well, I think that needs to be part of the initiative by us as a company, but also as the industry to do a better job of having a societal conversation about agriculture and food systems in general. And rather than agriculture talking to itself, how do we all talk about this holistically together uh, so that the learning and understanding grows on both sides. We can learn from society, and society can learn from agriculture the things that we're doing. It never ceases to amaze me when I'm with people that are not familiar with agriculture, and I describe what we do today, and they're somewhat taken back. And they usually say, I had no idea that's how you were doing agriculture today. That's an example of lack of knowledge. But people care, and people care about the planet. They care about sustainability. They care how their food was produced. We all need to engage in that conversation together because at the end of the day, in many cases, our intent is the same. Well, there's a lot of common ground of what we want to achieve. One of the examples I use is oftentimes people think of sustainability and they think of organic production systems when, in fact, conventional agricultural systems 
are more sustainable options for farmers, sequester far more carbon in the soil, use far less carbon to produce a crop, and use less water and use less land. And we need to think about it very holistically and bring everyone to the table so we work on this together. Uh, and I believe working on it together will achieve much more success. But I think about this from your perspective. Your future is in developing things that don't exist today, in finding new tools and opportunities to help growers who need these tools to survive. How challenging is it now to be talking about a new molecule, to be talking about uh, the, the next phase of agriculture when you're facing pushback on genetics and on work that was done decades ago that's been proven and proven again by a regulatory agency that it's okay? Yeah, it, it creates quite a challenge. Our investor base, if you will, uh, recognizes that we invest for the long term and that it does take a long term to develop the innovation that we bring to the market. But there's a reward at the end for that innovation uh, to the share owner as well as, in our case, to the customer who uses the, the innovation. But as the risk increases on that innovation, uh, it gets harder and harder to get a return that's commensurate with that risk. And it's part of what kind of eats at me every day when I, I sit here and I look at some of the decisions that get made in the courts today that are restricting the use of products that have helped us make such huge advances in sustainability of agriculture and are some of the safest products that we can use today. And yet what they're going to get replaced with are things that take us back 30 years ago. And it's hard to believe that we're actually making some of those decisions and causing that to happen. That all goes into that whole risk profile. And it discourages some companies and, frankly, makes it very difficult for small companies to compete in this space and bring new innovation forward. How is your anticipation of consumer acceptance? Does it affect the products that you're willing to invest in? Oh, sure. Uh, if, we, uh, if we're looking at new technologies that we, we don't think consumers would be supportive of, that, that's going to weigh heavily in the decision-making process of what you bring forward. And, you know, and we live in a world today where not every part of the world is the same. So we talked earlier about the, the short stature corn. So we've approached that through breeding. We've approached that through new breeding technologies and gene editing. And we've approached it through biotechnology. So there's three different ways of achieving that short stature corn uh, that hopefully we can apply globally uh, depending on what the regulatory sentiment is in the, in the various geographies of the world. But it does make it much more costly to bring those technologies forward when you have to do it differently in each geography of the world. Speaking as a member of industry, is there a possibility that this social pressure and litigation could limit you bringing the tools that farmers need to the marketplace? Well, I think it already is limiting, and, and what I mean by that is, uh, you know, you look at some of the situations we're in today and the amount of money we have to spend to defend positions that have been scientifically proven for 30 years and are supported by regulators around the world, inclusive of every regulator in the world, and yet we still have to spend millions of dollars defending ourselves. Those dollars could be spent on R&D and driving new innovation today instead of defending what's already been proven multiple times over that it's perfectly safe to be in an environment. So it's already having an impact, and it, 
And it's disappointing to see that, but it's the reality of the of the market that we live in. It's wrong to ask speculative questions, but I'm going to ask this from the farmer standpoint. You see the resistance that goes against a global company of introducing new technologies here in the U.S. Is there a chance that someday this environment becomes so challenging for you that the first technologies aren't introduced here? They're introduced to growers in other places of the planet. Well, I think you already see some of that taking place in the world today. And today, the United States is one of the, the first areas to enjoy new innovation and new technology because it is a receptive environment. If we start to lose that receptiveness and the other markets in the world are more receptive, then yes, I think you'll definitely see that. Today, we benefit from it. If we continue to become more and more restri restrictive, we'll lose that benefit and it will go somewhere else in the world. Gee, I think about the consumer that might find that there's a 5G smartphone in China and we're still on dial-up rotary phones hanging in the kitchen wall. Yeah, I, I don't know that it becomes that extreme, <laughs> but uh, there's definitely going to be examples of that. And, and we see it today. I mean, farmers in the Americas have far more access to tools and innovation today than other parts of the world. And it's actually quite disheartening when I when I see stories and actually travel there myself to Africa and I see smallholder farmers fighting the army worm that is relatively easy to control in the Americas through genetically modified seed and, and good common insecticides and we can control that pest and, and grow our crop and there the poor African farmers uh, losing half of their crop or even more to, to a pest that we've been managing for many, many years. And so you already see those kinds of things playing out today and it's 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 disappointing and that's that's the motivation to continue to work towards a better future i think about the hungry child that could be fed if the technology was available to the producer the thing i i that keeps me going in many days is the fact that 850 million people still go to bed hungry every night and 600 million of those are farmers and it kind of blows my mind that it's farmers that are going to bed hungry and most of the reason for that is lack of access to technology that's in many cases 80 or 100 years old. And, and there are people standing in the way of those farmers having access to those tools that many of us have enjoyed for, in fact, I have for my lifetime. Uh, it's, it's, it's disappointing. But at the same time, it's the challenge and it's the motivation to go to work every day and see if you can't make a difference. From the Bayer perspective or from the industry perspective, how much is riding on the government regulations that we have here in the U.S. toward gene editing? Well, I think the, the U.S. has taken a very proactive stance on gene editing. They've looked at it uh, very clearly from a scientific perspective, and I admire the U.S. regulatory system right now. It's one of the most science-based regulatory systems in the world, uh, and they've reinforced that over the past couple of years, that they're going to continue to be a very science-based approach and therefore have been very supportive of gene editing and gene editing tools for, for agriculture. I'm hoping they continue to influence others in the world that are, are looking at this uh, concept and, and this science, and I hope that they lean the same way. And many of the countries in the Americas are going that direction, uh, consistent with the USDA and the, and the U U.S. regulators, um, but I'm hoping others in the world do the same. From your perspective, what does agriculture look like in five years? What does agriculture look like in 10 years? Does the paradigm change? I do think that data and analytics are going to have a lot to do with changing it, and I say that as much out of the fact that I believe that agriculture is not a unique industry in the world, and 
almost every other industry has already been disrupted by data and analytics, and I expect agriculture to be too. Uh, our company intends to be one of those that is the disruptor in using that data and analytics. And, and at the end of the day, the farmer being better off, society being better off uh, as consumers, and the planet being better off. And that's what disruption's all about, is how can we make it a, a better world, a more sustainable world, uh, with everyone having a, a healthy, balanced meal. And, and I, I do believe that we are already starting to see some of that disruption. I believe in five years you'll see a lot more of it. And within 10 years, I expect you're going to be seeing it with smallholder agriculture around the world, too. Brett Begaman, we want to thank you for taking time in such a frank discussion on some difficult issues. This is open mic, and the guest gets the last word. Well, I think one of the things that I, I would encourage uh, everybody in your audience to do is uh, be, be open to possibilities and, and sit down at the table together and look for common ground and how we can work on things together. Because I believe many of us in the agricultural industry, in, including uh, farmers that I work with on a regular basis, as well as people in industry, are looking to engage with society in a constructive process for the future and find a better way to uh, be a more sustainable agronomic system, but also at the end of the day ensure that everyone has a, a balanced plate. And that's not an easy thing to do, but I do believe working on it together will accomplish a lot more than working on it individually. Our thanks to Brett Begovan, Chief Operating Officer at Bayer Crop Sciences, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.